Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast for Sunday, November 14th, 2021. Today's sermon passage is Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. If you'd like to follow along, please go to gracebaptistchurchnc.org, click the sermons link at the top, and click today's manuscript. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church. If you would, turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 17 and 18. Though we we hit on this a bit last week, we're going to hone in more this week and with some things that we did not hit uh, from chapter 2. And the title of the sermon is Our Faithful and Merciful High Priest. So we're going to focus on those two words, Christ is faithful, Christ is merciful. So, verse 17 and 18, we'll read that, then I'll pray, and then we'll get started. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. If you remember last week, we talked about a new family that Christ formed, and so we are brothers and sisters in Christ, and so there you go. He had to be made like his brothers. So there's the incarnation of Christ. He is like us. He is a man. Had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Why? I'm going to ask this a lot today. Keep us on task. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. Then verse 18, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for these words. I pray that Christ would be lifted up today, that we would see his humanity particularly, that we would see our faithful and merciful high priest, that he would be more beautiful to us today, that we would decrease, that he would increase. Father, as sinners, we approach your throne of grace. We pray that you would work, work through me. Help us today, we pray. We, we, we completely depend upon you and your working in the preaching, teaching of the word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our faithful and, and I've switched the words up in the order here. We're going to go with faithful first and then merciful second. But our faithful and merciful high priest. Now when we consider the incarnation of Christ, we must remember the Son did not lay aside His divinity. And we've talked about that. Yes, His glory as in essence with God, same as God, His glory was veiled. His glory was veiled by His humanity. But He is still 100% God, 100% man. And the greatest mystery to me in this world is that He is one person, and there is a perfect union between His two natures, being God and being man. And because of this perfect union, He is the one 
mediator between a holy God and sinful men. And we've seen this wonderful union in Hebrews chapter 1 and chapter 2. Because there are things said about the Son that can only be said of God. So we see His deity. And there are things said about the Son that can only be said of man. And I think there's more there for this sec- in this second regard. So when we consider the person and work of Christ, we cannot diminish the Son who is in essence equal to God. So we cannot diminish that. And we cannot diminish the Son who is in His flesh a man just like us. We cannot do that. So with that in mind, that's just a reminder of Hebrews chapter 1 and 2. Today I would like to emphasize the humanity of Jesus. Namely, the necessity of the Son to take on flesh, become a man, in order to save His people from their sins. Many people in the world, if you go out and talk about how does God save, can God save, people say, of course God can save. Of course God does save. And people, the world would say, God saves in any way that He desires. And, and that is true as well. But there are many who say there, God saves through this person or that person or this way or that way. Have you ever heard someone say there are many roads that lead to heaven? We just need to get on one of them. We hear that all the time. But this is not what the Scriptures teach. Paul says there is one mediator between God and men the man Christ Jesus. So in verses 17 and 18 here into chapter 2, the author is setting up the argument for the rest of the book, for the whole book that's coming after. So today's message is very important. This is a transition into the rest of the book, particularly chapters 3 and 4, where he says he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Why? I've already said this. So that he might become a merciful, faithful high priest. They're reading straight from the scriptures. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So look back at chapter 2 verse 11 real quick. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. What is this one source that we share with the one who sanctifies us? It is a common humanity. This passage and the entire book of Hebrews teaches us that in order for Jesus to be our high priest, to be seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, he had to be like us in every way. Why? One more time, look at verse 17, that he might be a faithful and merciful high priest in the service of God. And so A.W. Pink, I was helped greatly by him today as I read his commentary on Hebrews. He says that the word faithful, think about this with me, the word faithful describes his Godward work, the work that he does towards God. He is faithful towards God. And so he describes faithful as his Godward work in the service of God. And then the word merciful, which will be our second truth today, describes his work towards us. 
Now, they're, they're certainly both connected, and we cannot draw them apart, but I'm making this distinction here because it's, it's really clear that we are the ones who need merciful. I mean, who, who needs mercy, and so therefore Christ is merciful. And neither of these two things can happen apart from His humanity. So, with that in mind, I have two truths. Here they are. Because of our common humanity... Jesus is our faithful high priest. So remember the word faithful. Second truth. Because of our common humanity, Jesus is our merciful high priest. So here we go with number one. Jesus is our faithful high priest. And this is based upon our common humanity. Again, the emphasis here is faithfulness in service to God. In order for Jesus to be our high priest, the mediator between God and men, Jesus had to be faithful in all of his service towards God. He had, there had to be a man who, unlike Adam, the first man, would be faithful. As Adam was not faithful, there had to be a man to come and be faithful as Adam was unfaithful. Look down at chapter 3, verse 2. Jesus was faithful to him who appointed him. Then look at chapter 3, verse 6. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. This is his Godward work. So let me ask. When we think about the work of Christ in the flesh... Godward work. What is the result of this Godward work for us practically? Well, we are Christians. When we come into this place, we sit down as Christians. Why are we Christians? It has everything to do with what Christ did on the cross. But from our point here, look back at verse 17. We are Christians because our sins are forgiven. And more particularly, look at verse 17. This is what he did. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. So this is related to his Godward work, his faithfulness. Now, this word propitiation has been translated in a lot of different ways. One is expiation, which means to take away our sins. And he certainly does that. In the King James Version 1611, translates it as reconciliation. Certainly true. We are reconciled with God. Other versions translated as a sacrifice. Lots of them. Now, all of these things are true. But I believe all of these translations miss the meaning of this word. And the ESV and others, I believe, get it right. I think the proper translation is propitiation. And this word captures the Godward effect of Jesus' sacrifice. Propitiation captures the important fact that there's something stemming from God that keeps us as sinners from Him. To propitiate means to take away that which stands between us and God. So let me ask, what stands between us and God? Why do we need a mediator? <laughs> what keeps this world from being saved. Well, it is the anger and the wrath of God 
and His righteous judgment that exists always between Himself as a holy God and any sin, any sinner. Yes, it is true that our sins keep us from God. God is holy. We cannot enter into His presence, nor can we be reconciled if our sins are not taken away. But here, in this context of faithfulness, the faithfulness of Jesus this is very important. The faithfulness of Jesus results in our propitiation. Jesus did something on the cross. Something happened there for us, for His people. Verse 17, unless He take on flesh and blood and become like us in every way, there is no propitiation. There is no removal of the wrath of God, and He must be united with us in a common humanity. So He had to be faithful in some ways there for His work on the cross to be effective. Now, let's try to explain this a little bit better. So come back with me. There's a, there's a long explanation. But think about the high priests of the Old Testament. What did they do? The high priest... All the priests, had, they entered into the temple and they performed their duties. But what did the high priest do once a year? Would go into the Holy of Holies. And it wasn't just walk into the Holy of Holies. So much more involved. And we've talked about that in the past. But every year on the Day of Atonement, the high, the high priest would walk in and do his duties in the Holy of Holies. So let me ask a question about this Old Testament high priest. How faithful was that high priest? It's a good question. It's kind of a trick question. Well, humanly speaking, for the most part, they were very faithful to do their duty as high priest year after year, and as new ones would come along. And year after year, they did what God required of them according to the law of Moses. So they were, they were faithful to do that. As they entered the Holy of Holies, they fulfilled their duties. But let me ask a question. How successful were they in their work of entering into the Holy of Holies year after year. How successful were they? <laughs> Again, that's almost like a trick question because God allowed the people to live another year, did He not? Another year. Another year. So they were faithful by faith to do those things that God required. But again, another question. What was the extent of their faithfulness? Yes, they were obedient, okay? But, here's what I'm getting at. Who were they? They were, they were men. And they were just like us. Now, this is, I'm using in, the, in broadly men and women, children of Adam. They were men. They were from the kin of sinful Adam. And no matter what they did in that Holy of Holies... They could not overcome sin and death. Even if they were to go into the Holy Holies a trillion times, if that were possible. Trillion times, trillion times, trillion times, times, trillion times, infinite times of trillions, and they were to do it all the time. Would they accomplish and have power over sin and death? <laughs> well... Just the fact that they do it year after year after year after year shows that their faithfulness was not enough. 
And when they entered the Holy of Holies, how do you reckon they entered? Just nonchalantly? No, they were fearful. And they trembled. You think back in the Old Testament when the, when the priest put his hand on the ark of God and he died. Just like that. They were thinking, maybe I will be that person. Maybe I will die when I go in. When they went in, yes, they were going in out of obedience. And they went in by faith. But when they went in, they were thinking, I might die. It's even said that they would tie a rope around that high priest. And he would be tied to the high priest. I don't know if that's true or not. Might need a fact checked on that one. But I could assume that it, it certainly would be. Because if they were to die, then at least nobody else would go in there. They could pull their body out of the Holy of Holies. Well, let me ask you. Why were they so fearful? Well, they were fearful because they were sinners. And those who entered, even by faith, knew that their righteousness, their own righteous deeds were as filthy rags, as Isaiah 64, 6 says. And they stood before God as Adam and Eve stood before God naked and afraid because of their sin. And in every way that Adam failed to be faithful to God, so were they and so are we. We fail in and of ourselves. They stood and we stand as Isaiah, when he saw the vision of the holiness of God, what did he say? Very righteous man, very obedient man, very faithful man. But what did, he do, what did he do when he saw the holiness of God? What did he say? He said, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And so, when we stand today on our own merit, as sinners, and all of us are, we stand in that way. So let me ask you this, or let me point something out. How about trying and counting your sins for the past year? Try and count them this past month. Could we do that? Or this past week, count your sins. Or how about even this morning? Count your sins. Think about the people of this world who are trying to reach God, to find some kind of faithfulness that will make God accept them. Think about our Muslim neighbors and friends. They're praying five times a day to Mecca, among other good works that they are doing, that God might find them faithful. Think about our Hindu and our Buddhist neighbors and friends in, in this world. They are convinced that their own suffering in some way will bring them back and make, give them better karma that they will one day then return in another life over and over and each time get better because of their suffering in some way, their faithfulness in this life, even if it is through suffering, that they will be brought back in such a way. The Jews of Jesus' day... Much like the Muslims today, they are trying to be faithful to keep the law of Moses over and over again in and of ourselves. We fail in our faithfulness as sinners. When I think that I have not murdered someone, and I have not, but when I think about that and then I read the words of Jesus who says, John, but if you've thought evil in your heart against your brother, 
you've committed murder. Where? In your heart. So when you think about counting your sins, think about that. Or, when I think I've always been faithful to my wife, I think of the words. Men, if you've looked at a woman, or women in the same way, looked at a man. If you've looked at one with lust, you've committed adultery against your spouse. When I think that I am content with all that I have, and I find myself desiring possessions or the status of my neighbor, I know my heart is sinful and it is unfaithful. Even for many today that, that sit in churches and call themselves Christians, many are relying upon their church attendance or their baptism or their giving or something saying, I, I want to be faithful before God. And they think that this faithfulness in some way will gain access to God. And God will say, good, good. But at the end of the day, brothers and sisters, we all fall short of the faithfulness which God requires to enter His presence and to have fellowship with Him. Like Adam, we've been banished from the garden, the garden of His presence, but... Philippians 2, the Son, listen to this. The Son, though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped or held on to. But He emptied Himself, taking the form of what? A servant. Being born in the likeness of men, there's our common humanity, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus, the Son of God, conceived by the Holy Spirit, was no sinner. And he did not enter the Holy of Holies with a mere outward faithfulness as a sinner. He entered, he entered the Holy of Holies on his own merit. He was the perfect, spotless Lamb of God. As the high priest sprinkled the blood on the altar there year after year, so the Son of Man laid his body, his person down on the cross. He shed his blood. And because of faithfulness in every regard, his sacrificing was pleasing to God. And there's the connection to the propitiation. He took away the wrath of God upon us if we trust in Him. And because of His faithfulness in every way, His sacrifice was pleasing. His wrath was poured out. The wrath of God was poured out upon the Son. He was our propitiation. And as the earthly priest entered the earthly tabernacle... <laughs> So the Son of Faithfulness entered the heavenly tabernacle. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, that we in Him might become the righteousness of God. And all of this, brothers and sisters, happened because of our common humanity. Truly, in our place, He did stand. Truly. When he died on the cross, he suffered and he died as a man. And he is our faithful high priest. 
Just a, a couple applications here, very quickly. This should cause us in our hearts the greatest praise and worship to God when we think about the humanity of Christ and what He did on the cross to be our propitiation. And really, no matter what we do in this life, if you're, wor if you're concerned about what you should be doing, you know what will motivate you at the end of the day? You think coming to church and just listening to a sermon will motivate you? Or even just praying with brothers and sisters is going to motivate you? Or giving your time and efforts to the, to the church, to the church of Christ in some way is going to motivate you? All those are good, and we must do them in duties. But you know what will motivate us at the end of the day? It is the love of Christ. It is to contemplate such things, which is why I love to preach on what Christ has done for us in love. And so this is the greatest cause of worship. Another application, practically, that He was faithful, that He is our propitiation in His faithfulness to God, is the greatest source of peace to know that our sins are forgiven. Always. Past, present, and future. Our sins are forgiven. There's our peace right there. And finally, another quick application. Our works cannot contribute one ounce, one molecule, one atom. I don't know which one's smaller, but our works cannot contribute to our salvation. That's truth number one. Jesus is faithful. He is our faithful high priest, and this is because of what he did in the flesh with common humanity. Number two. Because of our common humanity, Jesus is our merciful high priest. So the first truth was about his Godward work, particularly his faithfulness, so that God, when he laid his life down on the cross, he was faithful. That was primarily his Godward work. Now, let's move to his manward work towards us. And this one is, in some ways, is, it, it doesn't go without the other, but it is very practical for us. Look at verse 18. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Hmm. Because he shares a common humanity, he is fully able and willing to help us, showing us the greatest mercies in this life. Nothing could be more practical. It is now. It is true, how many of you like the verse? His mercies are new every morning. Well, for the Christian, <laughs> this is the most beautiful thing. Why? Because every morning, as I look to heaven, who do I see seated there? It is Christ, and His mercies flow down to us every morning. I see the faithful Son of God seated at the right hand of the majesty on high as my high priest. And the mercies of God flow from a never-ending fountain. I love this truth. Jesus says this, Come to me, come to me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden. Beautiful, beautiful verse. But then he continues, when you do, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
because of his faithfulness and now his mercy, particularly his mercy towards us, we can find rest for our souls in this life. Look over at Hebrews 4, verse 15. I'm going to read this again at the end, but for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with, with, our, weaknesses, with, with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Now, the emphasis of this verse is not on whether Christ could have sinned or not. The emphasis on this verse is that as a man like us, he experienced all the trials, all the temptations in every way, and he was faithful to God, and he did not sin. Therefore, he is our merciful high priest who is able to help us. Now, the King James translates this word to help as succor, S-U-C-C-O-R. I don't know if I've ever used that word. The ESV says just help us. But the meaning, sucker, I'm sure gets better at the meaning than just to help us. Because it's more than just give help. Jesus is not sitting in an easy chair in heaven, looking down as he decides, hmm, maybe I'll help them. Maybe I'll help her. Maybe I'll help them this particular time. No. This is not the case. You mothers will appreciate this, and fathers as well. But it is more like a mother who is sitting in one room, and her one-year-old daughter is in another room, and then all of a sudden in that other room, the mother hears the greatest scream, and you know that scream, mother. You know it's not just a uh, it's, it stumped a toe type thing, or someone took the toy. But it is a scream that you know something has caused your daughter great danger and pain. What do you do when you hear that? Hmm, wonder what kind of, what kind of scream that is. I think that's a good one, a bad one. No, you know what it is. And what do you do? You immediately beeline into that other room to what? To give help. Because... That is your daughter. That is your son. That is your child. Well, this is a better picture of what to help us, to succor. This is the Lord Jesus, and this is the most practical truth for us as Christians. Let me just go ahead and say, if you're not a Christian, this help is not coming your way. This help is for His people. We see that throughout this passage. And we also see that this propitiation, this expiation, this reconciliation, and all of this is also for His people. If you're not a Christian today, this help is not coming your way. Now, for the rest of our time, I want us to consider some ways that the Lord Jesus suffered in His flesh, and He was tempted as we are, and then gives us help. I've got just four quick ways that I see. And I, again, I was helped tremendously by A.W. Pink and even John Owen here with some of, these, some of these thoughts. They're just straight from the Scripture, though. But here's some ways that Jesus was tempted and He gives us help. First way, in His flesh, He was tempted as we are under the normal circumstances of life. Here's what I mean by this. In His body... He was hungry. He was 
thirsty. Often, he was overcome with fatigue. Who, which of us fits in all three of those places? Of course we do. These are the normal circumstances of life. He slept just like us. He laid his head on his pillow at night. And as he thought through things, sometimes he slept, sometimes he did not, sometimes he was awake, sometimes he was not, just like us. He got up in the morning. The Bible says that he was actually taught. The Bible says that he grew in wisdom and stature. As he grew, he also grew in mental and normal strength. He was a child, he was a baby, and he grew just... I almost hate to say just as we do, because he was a man. He did exactly in those regards what we did. In his affections, he loved. He loved people. He loved things. He was astonished at many things as we are. Wow, how can that happen? And we're just amazed at what's happening. He, uh, he marveled often. Many times he, he marveled at the unbelief that he saw around him. Sometimes he was glad. And he rejoiced. He was angry. Have you ever been angry? Been angry this morning? Been angry this week? He was, now, the difference between him and us is he did not sin, but he was angry in a righteous way. He was indignant as he saw the hypocrisy of the Jews around him. He was consumed with zeal, especially when we think about him overturning the tables there in the, in the temple. He was grieved. He wept. He trembled with emotion. Sometimes he was overcome with the waves of emotion as he considered his future, his suffering, and his looming death. As he, as a man, thought about all of those things, and that's just a tiny bit. But in his flesh, he was tempted under the normal circumstances of life such as what we have. We'll come back to that in application in a second. Second way, he suffered, or he was tempted in the same ways. In his flesh, he suffered in all of, not all, but in his relationships. Often, Jesus was disregarded. Often, even his closest friends didn't believe him or question what he said, which caused him great sorrow. Sometimes he was forsaken, even by his own followers, for preaching the mysteries of the gospel when they didn't get it. And they would say, that's crazy, Lord. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's so many things there that he suffered in his relationships. When, when his mother saw him there on the cross, the Bible tells us that a sword pierced her soul as Jesus looked upon it. He felt for her. He had many enemies from all sides as the Jewish leaders were constantly trying to catch him in words and even arrest him. But in the same ways that we have our relationships, good, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the ways those relationships affect us in our friendships, in our families, in our workplaces, all of these things Jesus understood because he went through them. Another way, number, number three, another way he suffered and was tempted was from the temptations of Satan very clearly. Now, we are also tempted by Satan, but when I think of Christ's temptation of Satan, what, what do you think of? Forty days, forty nights, 
in the wilderness. And specifically, that was an hour of darkness for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we do not have also, we are certainly tempted from Satan, but we certainly have hours of darkness. Now, the greatest temptation, which we did not undergo this one, but it's much greater than any temptation ever, any trial, and it's the greatest mystery when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You don't think as a man that those words caused great, the greatest of anguish and grief, even as he thought about that in the Garden of Gethsemane, when tears of blood, sweat came from his brow. I, I don't understand this. What a mystery as God turned His back on him. And we know that that's related to His work on the cross. In all of these ways that I have mentioned, He was tempted as we are. Why? That He might help us. That He might understand us. And that He might, as the mother, run to each one of us in every single trial and temptation. And that's the thing. Every single one of our trials and temptations, He is waiting there at the right hand of God, and every one of them is urgent. Every time. That's hard for me to grasp, but that is how willing and able it is just who He is. He is the man of mercy. And here, when we think about His temptation, the emphasis is not so much on Helping our flesh. That's very important. The emphasis here is that we might not sin when we get trials and temptations. Which goes very much against, if we want to flesh this out, the health, the wealth, the prosperity movement. Now I'm not saying Jesus doesn't care about your body because He does. 100%. But in this context here... He doesn't help your flesh. He helps you. Now, we can't separate out the flesh. That's the thing. But He helps us that we might not sin when these trials, these temptations come our way. So let's think about that for the rest of our time. Think of all the times that we need help from our great high priest. Let's name some of these. Surgery. I, I think about our brother and sister and their family this week with Sawyer. What are they going through? It's difficult. Death of a loved one. All of us have, have had that happen. Whether it's maybe not an immediate family, but it, for most of us, yes. But on down. The death of a friend, a loved one. Financial stress. Fear in all kinds of ways. Thinking even through the pandemic and what's going on in our world today. Have you ever been frustrated when someone lets you down? When a friend lets you down? Or when someone betrays you or deserts you? When the world falsely accuses you of something you know you didn't do? To those who are older, I'm only 54. Sometimes I have to think about that. Miss Holbrook, I think you're our oldest. That's a blessing to have you. But there's things that Miss Holbrook goes through, brothers and sisters, that we do not go through, and others. Miss Gunther, you're, you're not as old as Miss Holbrook, but 
we're, many of us are much older, and I think of Larry laying in the hospital, and Amy going through the things. As we get older, we cannot control the things that happen to us. We just do our best. And we say, well, Jesus didn't, under, didn't understand that because he only made it to, what, 30, 33 years old? No, when they laid him on the cross, he was completely, completely unable. No, we won't say unable because he could have called 10,000 angels. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But he suffered as we did and did not move. All of these ways we think about, all of these ways that we are tempted to sin. Think of all the ways that you sin, and He even gives you help. Are you lazy? I am. I run to Christ, who gives me help. He knows that I have an issue here. Whatever. Are you angry? Are you an angry person? Is that the one you really, really deal with? You're angry with your spouse, angry with your children, angry with your parents, angry with your friend. Run to Christ. He understood all of that. Understood all of that. Are you, are, as parents, are you sinfully disappointed sometimes with your children? A rebellious child? Do you find it hard not to gossip? Talk about everything under the sun with all of your brothers and sisters in the world? Children? Do you find it difficult to obey your parents when they tell you to go and clean your room or to do your homework or to, to help your, your brother or sister? Others, do you find it hard to pray? Big for me. Hard to pray. I'm so distracted. seems like the older, the older I get, the more distracted I get. Do you feel maybe at times that God has turned His back on you? Do you use the busyness of life as an excuse to neglect your duties as a Christian? Well, Jesus was busy. Everyone wanted His attention, yet He was purposeful in His efforts. Well, so during this time of the, the, with the COVID-19 Stuff. Heard someone say this week, if you want to get somebody upset, just talk about COVID. So I'm going to not do that this morning. But do you find it difficult <laughs> at this time? Do you find yourself getting angry at someone, maybe even your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you find it hard to love your brothers and sisters with whom you might disagree Often, when Jesus preached the mysteries of the gospel, his disciples did not agree with him. Did you know that? When Jesus said that he would wash his disciples' feet, what did Peter say? Stop! You will not do that. <laughs> and then, of course, Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet and wash all of you, then you will not be clean. And Peter says, okay, wash me. Peter disagreed with him. Peter, it seems to be Peter, often, when, when he preached that he would die on the cross, he would suffer. Peter says, no way, Lord, that just will not happen. And what does he say? Get behind me, Satan. Well, Jesus was often misunderstood by his disciples. Yet, he loved them 
and faithfulness and mercy. So let me ask, how often are we wrong in our estimations of the truth? Yet, Christ still bears with us. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. He did this because He Himself suffered and died as a man, and He understands. And this happened to a man who was just like us, except in regard to sin. Again, the emphasis of this temptation is not Jesus' temptation, but His ability to help us when we are tempted. So in all of these things, the world, again, does not receive mercy. In this passage, over and over again, we see that the son, the high priest, is not helping everyone, but he's helping the offspring of Abraham there in in chapter 2 as well. So at the end of the day, the suffering of Jesus was finished on the cross. And we often hear he could have called 10,000 angels to take him down. And yes, he could have. Well, of course he could have. But you know, one angel would have been enough if he would have called one angel. Okay? But then, what does he need the angels for? Because he is superior to them. Could he not have come down from the cross? But if he would have come down from the cross before finishing his task in his flesh then we'd have had no hope. All of sin would have been judged and the wrath of God poured poured out upon all sin and unrighteousness and there would have been no mediator between God and man. Christ did not come down. He suffered as a sacrifice in the place of His people. He was slaughtered as the Lamb of God and He did this as a man. And He did not come down because if He would have, He wouldn't have been a faithful and merciful high priest. He did it for us. And it is true, it is true, that our sins, we can say that our sins held Him there on the cross. Because He did not hold back from taking on flesh and suffering and death on the cross, He is able to help us in every way. You cannot come up with a scenario that the Lord Jesus, because He suffered in His flesh, is not able to help you through this trial, this temptation, whatever it is. And so therefore, I would say to us as a church, look unto Christ. Turn to Him. He is the faithful high priest. He is faithful and He is merciful in every way. So much more I could say. But in closing, I want to finish with Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. So just look there with me. And this is our application. Since then, brothers and sisters, since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. I must confess to all of you, it has come up through the years, even Pastor John, yes, I I don't want to 
Or I'm thinking, maybe my confession, I, I don't know if I can hold fast to that. But let us hold fast to our confession. And I know it's happened with all of you in all of our doubts. And all the times that we move away from the Lord. And Satan tempts us, our own flesh tempts us. All kinds of things we could say there. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So here it is. Therefore, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and sending Him. And we pray also to the Lord Jesus Christ and thank Him, Lord Jesus. We thank you for doing what you did. And we know this is through the power for us. It is through the power of the Holy Spirit that we even, that we even pray. So we worship God, Father God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. Father, particularly today, we worship because Jesus is our faithful and merciful high priest. I pray for us that as we leave this place, that we would look unto Christ for all of these ways that we are weak and being tempted, that we may not sin, and that Christ might be more beautiful as our faithful and merciful high priest. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Church podcast. You can listen to past sermons at podbean.com. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove to find us. You can also find us on Apple Podcast. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove. You can also join us at the South Rowan YMCA, 950 Kimball Road, China Grove, North Carolina. We meet on Sunday mornings at 930 for fellowship and service starts at 10. Thank you for listening and remember to be intentional in making disciples this week.